Mr. Gorbachev, tickle my balls. <laughs> Welcome back to the Cold yeah, War. Uh-huh. Cam, Cam and Ray's Cold War. Yeah, corner. The most racist Cold War podcast. <laughs> most political, most racist, opinionated, opinionated right? anti-American yeah. religious Cold War Pr- podcast on the planet. And Pr- proud Pr- of it. Yeah. Arr, arr. Yeah. Commie. Most commie, <laughs> loving. Episode one hundred and two. How are you, uh, Bubble Boy? I am. I am doing great. How are you? Well, I'm great. God. <sighs> if, if I may jump mm. this story off because I know this is your Saturday morning. So so here's <laughs> how everything everything is going. Pretty well, let's be honest, except now he gets some not awesome news. So between the news that he can pick up and his OSS contacts, he starts to figure out that despite his best efforts, and he's been working on this for a couple of years now, Indochina is going to be skipped over by the United States military forces. They're going to take a more direct route to the Japanese home islands. And so this war is going to come to an end, and it's coming to an end soon. So he's got to do something. He has to up his game. He has to kick up his actions of the Viet Minh. So he orders that within the liberated zone, the parts that they can control, reactionary landlords are going to have their land taken from them, carved into communal village land, and passed out to the peasants. Again, trying to get these people not only on aside, but also give them a better quality of life, because that's what the revolution is all about. And that thing that you mentioned a couple of episodes ago, Corvée, I'm not, Corvée, I'm not sure how to say it, the indentured servitude-like thing that they used, the French used to do, that's made illegal. And here's the big one, at least on a village level, uni- universal suffrage is... is um, it's created. So again, this guy is really trying to ramp up his game. He's trying to really show what he's what he's capable of, get more people on his side, because he's got to get more proactive, because he knows the end is coming, time is running out, and he's got to be ready for that sweet spot that he's been planning decades for this. Well, he's, he's not the leader of the country yet. How can right. he be doing all of this stuff? No, just the parts that they, that they control. He's putting out. He's putting out messages. That this is either what I can do now, or this is what I will do. Because they do control sections, some sections in the north near Tonkin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he's got thousands of people have joined the Viet Minh now, and they're taking over certain areas. Mm-hmm. But then uh, he hears uh, around about the middle of August in 1945 that the Japanese are going to surrender. To the mm. Allies. Obviously, the bomb's been dropped, the two bombs. Yeah. And unfortunately for Ho, uh, the US has a new president. Um, obviously, yeah. going back sort of a few months, but they probably didn't know a lot about Truman before now. Yeah. They nope. knew, I think, that FDR cared about French mm-hmm. colonialism in China and was going to end it, said, no, we're not giving it back. Truman, on the other hand, didn't care about it. Did. He was like, yeah, fuck, yeah, give it back to the French. Yeah. Uh, all good. Yeah, love the French. Love yeah. it. Love or the French. Love them. a bit of French. Yeah. French French yeah. ticklers. Love a French tickler. <laughs> love French ticklers. Love the French. That's what I've Who always said. Yeah. Hmm. No one tickles like a French, I think is what... Um, they still a thing, French ticklers? Like, I don't I, even... I don't know. You know Ever how many... porn, yeah. I don't... The last time I used a condom was like 1985, <laughs> I think. Uh, I don't know. 
I mean, I'm, at, but, I'm, at, yeah. I'm asking back in them Vegas. all the time, but I don't. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, they don't want me to spread my bubble jeans. And they say to my face, and it's hurtful. It's hurtful. Uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd heard that your sperm are so, so weak and ineffective um, <laughs> that it's not really that much of a threat, you know? <laughs> Which, oh, my God. Okay, now we're attacking my sperm. Moving I've, on. Seen, <laughs> I've seen your. All I'm going to say is I've seen your children, right? And, and I've seen your milkman, and I can put <laughs> two and two together. Hey, but tax time—they're my dependents. I'm happy. Right, Heather's satisfied. I'm happy. Okay, yeah. By the milkman. Yeah. Um, now, yes, they got a new president, Truman. Doesn't care. And, of course, the French uh, have seen their opportunity to get in good with the Uh new administration. FDR was not friendly to de Gaulle uh, or the French in general um, uh, in terms of their colonial powers. Uh, He'd said said some things early on, as we've discussed. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they can have it all back. Uh, With the Atlantic Charter... He said, you know, look, the Atlantic Charter, we're not talking about white people. We're talking about yeah. Japan's colonies, uh, really. Um, right. The white people, you know, the Europeans' colonies, that's good. That's 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 that's, that's a boon. But he so changed his mind a little bit on the French and into China. Um, so uh, the, the Truman administration, of course, on the other hand, felt like they would need France after the war to right. help them block Soviet expansion and that they needed to have the French on their side. Yeah. So they decided, the Truman administration decided, yeah, we're just going to give it back to them. They can have Indochina back. Right. Well, and the other part, and, and, if, and if you said this while uh, the phone was going out, I apologize, but the first thing a new president does is, you know what, I need some position papers. Where are we at on this? Where are we at on this? And like you said, the pro-French people within the State Department took advantage of that and pretty much pushed their agenda, completely ignoring what FDR had wanted to do before. Yes, they may revere him, but he is now gone. Truman's the man. And, you know, it's a blank slate. You, you, you say what you want. Not all of them revered him, though. Remember, that's true. FER had a reputation of just doing his own thing, playing his cards yeah. close to his chest. Which he pissed g- off. Yeah. <laughs> the State Department. Like, there's never, in any administration of any country, it's very rarely, if ever, that you have 100% of the people that are behind the, the right. president or prime minister or administration at any given time. You have... Forces on side A, forces on side B, maybe some C, D, and E forces, and they're, they're you know they're playing politics in amongst themselves. Sure. So you had the people obviously that were more inclined to allow the French their colonial properties for a variety of reasons. Um, probably didn't agree with FDR on this. Now that FDR's gone, they're going to swing into action. Right. And support the French in convincing Truman, who, as we've discussed, knew fucking nothing about anything when he became <laughs> president. No international experience, hadn't travelled the world like yeah. FDR had. Yeah. Um, he he was very ignorant of foreign policy, had been yeah. kept out of the loop by FDR uh, in those few months when he was vice president. Um, FDR didn't really like him, as far as I can tell. Um, he was kind yeah, of that seemed to be the case. He was uh, thrust 
upon FDR, who uh, at the last um, election cycle. Yeah. 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 Well, see, my thing is, I'm assuming that Truman, like FDR said at one of the meetings, it might have been Yalta, I can't remember, but look, look, as soon as this war is over with, we're not anticipating anything like the Cold War, so as soon as this is over with, I'm going to be pulling my guys and bringing them home as soon as I can. Truman's got to be thinking the same thing. So when he gets a paper from the State Department saying, we need the French on our side and we need to to do whatever we need to get them on our side because the Americans are going to pull out. I mean, it that just makes total sense. Why would you not want to appease a country that you are going to need very quickly in the future? Yeah, and f- fuck all those uh, Vietnamese yeah. uh, living in that country. Like, well, what do we care they about there? used to it by now. It's Self-determination. Yeah. yeah. Listen, it could be worse. This. Right. <laughs> Sorry, I went too far. Sorry. Could be worse, you know. Could be somebody else occupying them. At least it's only the French. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, it could what be me mean? occupied. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Um, even at the, the first meeting of the United Nations in late April and May of 1945, um, there was no issue uh, right. brought up about the trusteeship for Indochina that FDR have been yeah. talking about. It's gone. It's, it's just don't worry about it's, gone. It's vanished off the agenda. Right. Um, in fact, Big Steady, Edward Stettinius, the Secretary of State, still at this juncture before wow. Teddy, Eddie Burns comes in. Right. Um, Jim, Jim, Jim Burns. <laughs> Eddie Stett, right. Jimmy B. Eddie Steady. Um, Eddie Steady. He assured the French foreign minister, Georges Bidot, Georges Bidet, uh, he'd like to, you know, he would clean your ass um, after you took a dump, um, that he said the record is entirely innocent of any official statement of the wow. U.S. government questioning, even by implication, French sovereignty over Indochina. Is that Diplo speak? Yeah. That's Diplo speak saying, listen, you're all good. Listen, yeah. I don't know what good you heard yeah. when FDR was still alive, but now that he's gone, we yeah. have never officially right. criticised or suggested that you shouldn't yeah. continue your, your colonial control over Indochina. Right. Atlantic Charter, what? Never heard of it. No. Um, don't know what, don't know, literally, literally do not know <laughs> what those words mean. It's like Ray just said something about propaganda. We, uh, we have no idea really what those words mean. Uh, so Truman, right, right. Truman met Chiang Kai-shek in Washington just after that. Right. Um, and he said, what, trustee? Because remember, FDR had talked to oh, Chiang yeah, about yeah. trusteeship. Expecting- uh, uh, Ch- Chiang said, what about the trusteeship? Uh, and Truman said, what? No, what? Literally, do not know what you're talking what? about. No, never going to happen. Yeah. Don't, no. Look, you know, it's all French, man. It's going to be French right. forever. I, I'm Truman. Uh, I get three things, haberdashery, poker, and piano. And none of those things you said fit within those three categories. So I do not know what you're talking about. That was his skill set. That was his wheelhouse. And like you said, not not only did he not know, he probably didn't even care because, and rightly so, he is obsessed. He is focused on defeating Japan because the war is not over with. So it will come as no surprise that when a report comes out 
on June 2nd for Truman to read. It pretty much, even though it says independent sentiment in the area is believed to be increasingly strong, that's a quote from the report, but still the report ends with the U.S. recognizes French sovereignty over Indochina. We're going back to the way it was before the start of the war. They had that country. They're getting it again. They're our ally. And then at the Potsdam Conference, remember de Gaulle wasn't invited to the Potsdam (laughs) Conference because he annoyed the fuck out of everyone. (laughs) With that special skill, yeah. Um, And also he wasn't invited because he had sent forces to the old French mandates of Syria and Lebanon, despite the Allies telling him not to. And Uh, they had just established independence and he sent troops there anyway. Yeah, and people who have listened to our... Syrian Civil War series on the Bullshit Filter will know a lot more about the French occupation of that part of um, mm-hmm. the Middle East because we talked about it a lot right. on that show. Um, and so at Potsdam, anyway, though, the Vietnamese got well and truly shafted. In order to disarm the Japanese in Vietnam after the war, the Allies decided, agreed to divide the country in half at the 16th parallel. Mm. The Chinese are going to take the north and the British are going to take the south and they both agreed to return the north and the south to the French after they'd cleaned out the Japs. So up until that last point, I was going, that sounded a little bit like trusteeship, and then you squashed it completely by saying they're going to give it back to the French. So yeah, let's divide it up, clean it up, get out the Japanese, and then put a nice big bow on it, and give it back to the French. Oh, man. Yeah. America. Yeah. Fucking hell. Maybe that was seen as a compromise. It it wasn't what Ho wanted, but it no, you know what? I'm I'm stretching. Never mind. Even trying to spin it to make America look less like a dick, and I can't. So uh, I guess from from the perspective of Ho and the Viet Minh, though, there was still some upside in this. Mm-hmm. The fact that China and Britain needed to do the cleanup. Was right. he was able to not spin that, but 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 use that, yeah, to demonstrate that the French were now a second rate power. Ah, oh, yeah, they they couldn't even come and clean up the Japanese by themselves. They're that weak militarily. Yeah. So if you're fighting against an enemy who is being shown to be too weak to even clean up their own colonial properties then there's a sign that you might be able to take them on. And then, of course, when Japan surrendered in August, it created a power vacuum that the Mm -hmm. Viet Minh were able to step into. Ho had always said, got to wait for the right moment to strike, prepare ourselves, and he had forecast that this moment was going to come, and it did, and he jumped right in there. Yeah. Um, are you talking, and again, this is where it slows, the story slows down and we go into a lot of details. Are you talking about August 13th, the ninth plenum? 
Yes, you, I wasn't okay. going to go into too much detail about that, but yes, no, around no. about that period. Yeah, so 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 Ho is like, and like you just said, he's been waiting decades for this. This is the moment we finally waited for. There's going to be a gap in time, so let's all get together. Let's send um, representatives to Tan Trao. Um, it's going to be called the Ninth Plenum, but they can't wait because, like you said, they've got to move. Now that the time is here, they have to move. They don't even wait for all the representatives to show up, but about 30 people do. They've got representatives from all over the country, and they're like, look, Ho is like, the allies in whatever form are going to be here soon, and we have to be ready to meet them, to greet them, to look them in the eye and shake them in the hand, and we have to do this from a position of strength. We can't come up begging to them to give us our country back because we know they're not going to. So as soon as Japan announces their surrender, we have to have a general uprising, we have to start taking control, and we have to be able to meet them face-to-face from a position of strength when this time happens. Now, again, some of the other reps start freaking out. They're like, we've only got about 5,000 men, so how are we possibly supposed to start a general uprising? And Ho's argument is, it's not the size of the army. Uh, We're going to do the best we can, but we have the masses behind us. Those are the people that we have to organize. That's how it's going to be done. And we either do it now and we succeed, or who knows when our next opportunity is going to come along. And then de Gaulle made a typically God. clueless speech. <laughs> On August 15th, he right. sent a message to Indochina from the mother country to the Indo-Chinese Union where he expressed France's joy, solicitude and gratitude for Indochina's loyalty to France and her resistance to the Chinese. Wow. Thank you so much for your loyalty to France. <laughs> We're on our way. We're going to come back, yeah, and, and resume oh the, uh, our loving embrace of your country because it's made us so much money over the last 87 right. years. We can't wait to get back. Yeah. Yeah. Even as he was giving that speech, though, Ho and the Viet Minh were getting ready to march on Hanoi. Um, and they basically were, you know, their propaganda campaign was like, look, the Japanese are defeated, the French are prostrate. Now uh-huh. is our moment. The moment of liberation is at hand. Now, Hanoi is a city in the north of Vietnam, kind of near the coast. The name means inside the river. It's been inhabited since at least 3000 BCE. Nice. And at the time, it was the administrative capital of French Indochina. Mm-hmm. The French had actually rebuilt it uh, significantly in, in the intervening sort of 80, 90 years in the style of Baron Haussmann, the man who designed modern Paris. So like Paris, it's got wide boulevards, lots of shady trees. Oh. It has an opera house, formal gardens. A lot of French shops, sidewalk Cathedral. cafes. It was the yeah. it was the Paris of Asia, Ray. Oh, that's nice. Have you heard about the Long Bien Bridge? Uh, I remember something about it that Ho from his childhood, but I don't remember. It was supposed to be an impressive uh, engineering marvel, but I that's all I remember. Well, nothing to do with Ho's childhood. I don't know where you're getting that from. You, you're just making that up again. No, his his. His father 
saw somebody get hurt. Never mind. Scratch all that. Scratch that. That's way back. Previously known as the Paul Dumier Bridge, I think after the governor was then called the Long Bien Bridge, built in 1899 uh, by the architects Day and Pierre of Paris. Right. Um, at the time, it was one of the longest bridges in mm. Asia, a bit of an architectural marvel, 1.68 kilometres or 1.04 miles long. Do you know why it was so long? Because it was a big fucking river? Well, not only that, but the river kept shifting with the seasons and the years and the, and the, every time there was floods, and so they had to make it very, very long to accommodate all the shifting. Again, but you're absolutely right. It was it was very impressive, and it dealt very well with, with the flooding that they had uh, over the years with the river. And the firm of architects that built it were the uh, was the architects that um, Gustav Eiffel's architectural business had merged with. Mm. So um, the man who built the Eiffel Tower, it was kind of his nice. business that, in, right. a, in a way, in a way. But it was there at the Long Bien Bridge in September of 1945 in front of hundreds of thousands of Vietnamese that Ho finally proclaimed Vietnamese independence. Mm-hmm. He was 55 and it was his first time in Hanoi. Wow. He'd been all over the world, but not to that part of his own country. Yeah. He traveled four days, mostly on foot, from his base to get there. Um, and for some of that, because he was still so sick, he'd been carried in a stretcher. And Giap in his memoirs tells the story. The strain had an effect on his health. He felt ill. For several days, in spite of the fatigue and the fever, he pushed himself and continued his work. Every day in coming to make my report, I worried about his condition. Invariably, he responded, it will pass. Come on in and bring me up to date. But I clearly saw that he was weakening and had lost considerable weight. One day I found him in a state of crisis, delirious with fever. We were terribly short of medicine, just had some aspirin and quinine tablets. He took them, but they had no effect. Ordinarily, except for his moments of repose, he never lay down. Now he lay on his cot for hours in a coma. Of all those who worked habitually by his side, I was the only one who had stayed at Tantrao. He was so tired one night that when I suggested that I stay the night with him, insisting that I was free, he opened his eyes and nodded his head slightly in agreement. The black night and the jungle held our little hut on the mountainside in a vice. Each time that Uncle Ho recovered his lucidity, he returned to the current situation. The circumstances are favourable to us. We must at all costs seize independence. We must be ready for any sacrifice, even if the entire chain of the central mountains must, must catch fire. When he could put a little order in his thoughts, he insisted on the points that preoccupied him. In guerrilla war, when the movement rises, it is necessary to take advantage of it to push further, to expand and create solid bases in preparation for critical times. At that moment, I refused to believe that he had confided in me his last thoughts. But on later reflection, I told myself that he felt so weak that he was giving me his final recommendations. The moments of lucidity and agitation succeeded themselves all night. 
In the morning, I urgently informed the party central committee of his condition. Then I asked the local villagers if they knew how to make some mixture of wild plants. They told me of a man who was reputed for his medicinal preparations against fever. I sent a courier immediately to fetch him. The old man, who was of Tay origin, took his pulse, burned a root that he had just dug up in the forest, sprinkled the cinders in a bowl of rice soup, but then said, hey, thoughts and prayers on Facebook. And they asked people on Facebook just to pray for him. And a miracle occurred. Right. The prayers and thoughts were efficacious. Oh, and the medicine might have helped too. Maybe. The president emerged from his coma. The next day, the fever diminished. He took that mixture two or three times during the day. His condition continued to improve. After the fever subsided, he arose and resumed his daily work. So he is very, very sick, but still pushing ahead with liberating his people. And um, I and I'm not sure how much detail you want to go into, but but like in uh, around August 19th, um, the man who was in charge of the insurrection committee starts sneaking troops into uh, to the capital Hanoi. Again, they have very few weapons, but they do have a lot of the people on their side. They they start sneaking them in, um, and there and I don't know. Again, you can just stop me if you wanted to cover this later or whatever, but um, GAP's um, Vietnam Liberation Ar- Armies, they're carrying weapons into the capital by this point. There's demonstrations that are breaking out, um, especially in the center of town. They control the center of town. And now that they're ready to take the city on August the 19th, just before noon, they start waving their new flag that you talked about, the gold star with the red base. Uh, they sing their new national anthem, Crowds gather throughout the city. Uh, the troops take over uh, city hall, police headquarters, uh, the palace of the imperial delegate. There's very little opposition. Uh, they do have a little clash with the local civil guards, but then the guards give up and they take over that. The only place where they meet any resistance is the Japanese who are holding the Bank of Indochina, because as you can imagine, all of the money and other valuables the Chinese have looted from this area. They probably got stashed in the bank. But other than that, they control the city, and it's going to be safe for um, for, for Ho Chi Minh to be able to come in. And so everything that he's done, everything that he's planned, he hasn't rushed like we've stressed. He's planned this all out. He has slowly, he's waited his time for the people, for the momentum to catch up. The people are on his side. And so when it finally does happen, when he finally does take Ho Chi, uh, the city, excuse me, Hanoi, there is literal to no resistance resistance, little to no bloodshed. It has taken a very long time to get here, but it has all worked out perfectly. But even he knows, and I think there's a quote from Lenin, you know, taking, starting a revolution is one thing, but holding on to power is quite the different thing. But the point is for right now, everything he's been planning his entire adult life for is coming true. They have Hanoi, they have the capital in that area. Mm. Oh, and last last thing. Sorry, I paused. This is the this is the first time since 1873 that Hanoi has been controlled by the Vietnamese people. Yeah. Um, now, before this actually happens, he uh, Ho this is issues a proclamation to the people. Um, It's called an appeal to the people. Dear fellow countrymen, the decisive hour has struck for the destiny of our people. Let us all stand up 
and rely on our own strength to free ourselves. Many oppressed peoples the world over are vying with each other in resting back independence. We should not lag behind. Forward, forward. Under the banner of the Viet Minh, let us valiantly march forward. And he signed it with his original name, Nien I Kwok, the last time he would ever use his birth name. Now, here's a question, Ray. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Did Ho and the ICP create the revolution or did they just exploit the conditions, the, the famine, the weakness of the French, the defeat of the Japanese? Yeah, no, I, I think it's the latter. Just like the um, the communists of Moscow, nineteen seventeen, just to take advantage of this absolutely horrific situation, which they did not cause. But I think they are. It, it's like it's like a raging bull. All the famine, the the starvation, the poverty, everything the French have been doing to them for uh, since eighteen seventy or whatever it is, eighteen seventy three. It's like jumping on top of a tidal wave and trying to steer it a little bit. They did not create it. They're just taking advantage of it, and they're trying to turn it into something more positive. I think they were just, to the best of their ability, through organization and communication and help from the Americans, taking advantage of of events that were going to happen regardless, but they're trying to use them to their advantage, and it seems up to this point to have worked. But I, I, I think they're just dealing with the hand they've been dealt? Well, I I think it's both. I think Mm -hmm. they were prepared and waiting for the conditions to be right before they would strike. But, you know, the the revolution didn't happen without them. They needed leadership. They needed to be ready. They needed to have their organisation in place. Um, So I don't think they just you know, exploited existing conditions that were, you know, I don't think the uprising would have happened without their leadership. Yeah, and and if I could just say real quick, I mean, you're right, it's a little bit of both, but the point is there were other entities out there that were trying to take advantage of it. There was a non-communist, a nationalist party that was trying to take uh, take it over the power. The emperor had actually sent a message to Hanoi offering to step down and offering to, you know, join them, which was another um, option they could have taken. But I think it's hard to, I think, excuse me, I think it's very easy to miss that Ho, as he's in his mid-50s, and you would think that almost several points before this would have been the time, but he waits and he waits and he waits and just to have that kind of patience and belief in himself or in or in his dream to me is just staggering. That 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 can be missed very easily. But he waits and he finally waits for his time. He feels like it's come. He beats out all these other powers, and he now has Hanoi and and his people are going to go out, even though they don't have a ton of weapons, and they're going to take as much territory as many cities as they possibly can. But they don't have to fight the people because they waited for things to get so bad. The people generally are on their side. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's something that appears a lot in um, certainly the writings of both Fidel and Che mm-hmm. is that you need to write you need to wait for the right conditions for a revolution. That's um, so hard. They, they yeah. had that in Cuba, but you know Che kind of forgot that when he went to the Congo and Bolivia. He thought he could create the conditions, mm, right, uh, or speed it up. I think, um, and Fidel criticised him for that, both at the time and later, 
as we'll get into later on in the series. But when he was off going off to the Congo and then Bolivia, Fidel tried to talk him out of it, saying, listen, it's not right. It's not the right time. Just stay here. Help us solidify um, the, the revolution here. But Che believed that he needed to be out there trying to liberate other peoples from right. their uh, colonial uh, or, or dictatorial governments. And, and uh, you know, it's probably what got him killed in the end is the people just weren't ready. They, right. The conditions weren't right for revolution. Um, anyway, so around about the third week of August, um, when the Viet Minh were taking control of various parts of Annam and Tonkin and then Hanoi, the resistance was usually minimal, except, as you said, I think there was a bank where the Japanese were holding on to it, Bank yeah. of Indochina. But um, uh, it, it all went pretty smoothly. The people just... Uh, they were ready. The people, people were ready, yeah. And as you said, the Emperor Bao Dai announced that he would support a government led by Ho Chi Minh. Um, but... There was a mass rally in Hanoi. They demanded that he abdicate his throne, which he did on August 25th, declared his support for the Viet Minh and handed over the imperial sword to the new government. And that was the last, at least until this juncture, uh, monarchy in Vietnam. Um, He gave a short speech where he said, Citizens, let me be understood. I prefer to be a free citizen than an enslaved king. Nice. Not a bad, uh, yeah. not a bad, not a he bad a uh, statement. Yeah. An enslaved king. Yeah. What What happened to Bao Dai? Um, actually, I don't know. What happened to him after he steps down? Uh, he basically went into exile in mm. uh, France, um, where he died in 1997. Damn. Mm-hmm. Stuck with the French, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but, he, but he was a Japanese puppet. He was lucky to get out of there with his head still attached to his shoulders. Mm. His uh, son, the Crown Prince Bao Long, then died in 2007, and his younger brother Bao Tang succeeded him as the head of the Nian dynasty. Wow. Hmm. Did, did you read about what happened further south uh, in Cochin, China? Uh, yeah, but you can tell the story. Okay, yeah, so they've, so they've got Hanoi. You know, they've got the uh, Viet Minh in there. Now, it's not going to go so smoothly in the South. Uh, I think you mentioned this either in this episode or the last episode. Um, There was a major crackdown in 1940. Most of the ICP members uh, down in the South are dead or in jail. Um, One of them was uh, Tran Van Gia. I don't don't know how to say his name. I apologize. He did go to the Stalin School in Moscow. And so he is one of the people that is arrested, but he, he eventually gets out of jail. And he's like, you know what, I, I have even fewer resources than the people up north, so I'm just going to slowly take bit, you know, bide my time and I'm going to rebuild. So instead of trying to create an uprising, all he does is he focuses on the preparations for a future uprising. So he starts in the rural areas and he gets followers and he has some of the people go to the cities and act as uh, operatives and gather information. And by March of 1945, he's got about 3,000 members in the city in Cochin, um, China. 
And of course, when the Japs take over in March, uh, he's there. He takes advantage of the confusion. He gets the Vanguard youth on his side. So again, he's taking his time. He's trying not to do anything too fast, too radical. He's just gathering support. And so um, when he finds out that the Japanese are going to be stepping down, uh, they try the Japanese before they step down try to set up a pro-Japanese government in that area. It falls apart, much like the Emperor, because it just doesn't have the support of any of the people. A new committee is set up in the South. In Gia is made the chairman. So again, even less violence than what happened in the North in in Hanoi. He's able to bring the. He's able to hold parts of the South and have it ready for Ho Chi Minh. When he does, you know, enter Hanoi and make his statement and declare his the independence of his country. Getting back to uh, Emperor Bao Dai, he wrote mm-hmm. a letter to de Gaulle that said the Vietnamese people do not want and cannot abide foreign domination or administration any longer. I implore you to understand that the only way to safeguard French interests and the spiritual influence of France and Indochina is to openly recognize Vietnam's independence and to disavow any idea of re-establishing sovereignty or a French administration here in any form. We could understand each other so well and become friends if you would stop pretending that you are still our masters. Damn. And he was right. I get that. Think maybe Ho wrote that letter for him. Yes, um, I don't. Yeah, I think the king just signed his name under someone else writing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Ho probably it's, wrote that for him. It's too direct. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, when Ho enters the city, uh, streets were festooned with Viet Minh flags and banners. Festooned. There's a there's a fun word for you, Ray. <laughs> there's a word that you can use out of context all day long. <laughs> Nobody will know. Oh okay. God, I'm feeling I'm feeling so festooned <laughs> after that <laughs> dinner. Thanksgiving turkey. I'm festooned with Thanksgiving festooned turkey. Festooned up to here, right? Do you know exactly. Do you know what a Do you know what a festoon is? It's decorated. It's uh, decorated. A, fest, a festoon. A festoon is a garland, like a ah, lay, a chain, gotcha. flowers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even though the ICP had taken the city, Ho knew it was still dangerous. He quoted Lenin's famous warning. Um, Imagine all the people living for today. Uh, Imagine there's no religion. It's easy if you try, Try. he said. (laughs) I want to hold your hand. The other, no, sorry, my mistake, the other Lenin, his famous warning, seizing power is difficult, but keeping it is even harder. Yeah, he's just getting started. Now, starvation was still a real threat. Um, Farmers had apparently started eating the next year's seed stock. Oh, A bit like our mate mate Oscar Pierce. I think that's what he's uh, ended up doing (laughs) in his farming. In order to survive, they were eating next year's seed. Uh, And and as you mentioned before, there were other Vietnamese um, nationalist parties that were sort of shocked by how quickly the Viet Minh and the ICP had taken control. They wanted to have the same things. Of course, there's still the French. The position of the Allies uh, regarding independence still isn't really known. 
They right. probably know that they're being ignored by the Americans now. Um, I think even the OSS have broken off contact. Yeah. But uh, so there's a still a lot of things that could go wrong. But on August 29th, Ho formed his first government. And then on September 2nd, the same day the Japanese surrendered on the deck of the battleship Missouri in Tokyo mm-hmm. Bay, Ho launched his government um, and proclaimed Vietnamese independence and thus came into being the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, the DRV. Now, I know Americans love democracy, Ray, so I'm sure they're right. going to completely support yeah. the DRV with We're gonna completely every fiber of their this. being. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> festooned everywhere. <laughs> um, now, the rally, yeah. the independence rally took place at uh, Bardin Square, which was mm. a big grassy field not far from the Governor General's Palace in Hanoi. Uh, the flag was up. Peasants had come from all over. Uh, First time many of them had been to Hanoi as well. There was also merchants, uh, rich, poor. Schools were closed on that day. Teachers Mm -hmm. were walking with whistles with their children following them, singing revolutionary songs. Scouts had been mobilised by the French and the Japanese previously Mm. um, as, you know, sort of pro-colonial teams of kids, now they're getting behind the new government. Because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but you can't stage a revolution without the support of the scouts, Ray. Very important. I didn't Um, know that. Girl Scout cookies. um, They're the future. The universal cry of revolutionaries everywhere, dib, dib, dib. (laughs) By the way, do you know where that comes from? Dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. No. You're not an ex-scout? I, I got the feeling you would be I, a scout. I was a scout for two and a half hours. It's a painful story. It's right up there with a the bubble story. I'd rather not go into it. No one no one touched you, so you said, <laughs> fuck this, I'm going <laughs> to... I said, I've been a... here for two and a half hours, not molested once. I'm out of 5,000. There's lots of places I can go to get molested. I can, there's a Catholic church but just right up the road. But I'm a patriot. I, <laughs> I want to be molested by a Boy Scout. But no, you fuckers didn't touch me. I'm out. It wasn't it was started by a Brit. What's it got to do with being a patriot? No, no, the, the American Boy Scouts. St- yeah, still started by a Brit. No, I wanted to be molested. Do I have to tell the molestation story? The attempt at... Ne- never mind. No, the point is, I tried to join the Boy Scouts when I was a kid. Um, they didn't have anybody to be our leader slash molester, and so they disbanded us <laughs> even before we got started. Again, it was a very painful chapter in my life. Thank you once again. Well, the dib-dib-dib thing, um, just to get back to that. Yeah, please. Um, it's called the Grand Howl. 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 Spell howl? H-O-W-N. Okay. Just making sure. All right. As in the uh, famous beat poet uh, poem by Allen Ginsberg. I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. Mm. You know that poem? I'm familiar with that line. Oh, we're going to go down a fucking tangent now, man. I tell you. Oh, one of the great poems. 
I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness, starving, hysterical, naked, dragging themselves through the Negro streets at dawn looking for an angry fix, angel-headed hipsters burning for the ancient heavenly connection to the starry dynamo and the machinery of night, who poverty and tatters and hollowed-eyed and high sat up smoking in the supernatural darkness of cold water flats floating across the tops of cities contemplating jazz. Come on, man. How can you call yourself an American and not know that poem's probably one of the greatest things that's ever come out of your sad little country? (laughs) (laughs) Back to the grand howl. Yeah. Yeah. Back to the grand howl. I was criticizing America recently on Facebook, surprisingly, on my brother-in-law's, Chrissy's brother, his Facebook thing. He posted some bullshit about, you know, anti-Trump. And he said, when did America stop being the shining light on the hill? And I said, I don't know, maybe when you fucking dropped nuclear bombs on civilians, maybe when you supported brutal dictatorships across the third world, maybe when you invaded Vietnam and killed millions of civilians in Vietnam and Laos, where your fucking wife's family comes from. Maybe and I just rattled off this list of things. And, and he sent me back a snarky comment saying, oh, yeah, and everyone looks to Australia for moral leadership. And, and I didn't respond because I'm... I let it go, but I said, I was going to say, we don't claim to be the shining light on the hill. So a bit of a, uh, yeah, a bit of a non secretor there criticizing Australia, like, hey, we know we're fucking nothing. Anywho, (laughs) back to the greenhouse. So Robert Baden Powell, who invented the Scouts, um, was a big fan of Rudyard Kipling Mm. and the Jungle Book, the, the Mowgli stories. And um, in his handbook for the Scouts, the Wolf's Cub Handbook, he describes how in the Jungle Book, the wolves all sat around in a circle while the old wolf, the head of the pack, sat in the middle and then they threw up their heads and howled and greeted him. And so mm. in the Scouts, he said they're, they're, when they got together, the um, head scout would call out, like the, 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 the adult would call out, pack, pack, pack. And then all of the cubs would right. form into a circle. And they would, when they got into a circle, they yell about pack. And then uh, they would yell out, Akala, we'll do our best. And then they would really? jump up with two fingers of each hand at the sides of their head to resemble wolf's ears. Sure. And then uh, one of them, a sixer, would yell out, dib, 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 D-Y-B, meaning do your best. Ah. And the cubs would reply, dob, 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 we'll do our best. Wow. I'm, That's I don't what have, it means. Dib, 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 dob, dob, dob. dob I don't have time for that. Dob. Just molest me so I can go. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got shit to do. I want to get that badge. I just came for the molesting badge. <laughs> Speaking of molesting. What would that look like? Um, uh-huh. And Robert Baden-Powell, I don't know if you know this, but in 1939 he noted in his diary, Lay up all day, Red Mind Camp, wonderful book with good <laughs> ideas on education, health, propaganda, organisation, etc. And ideals oh. which Hitler does not practice himself. Oh, so critique. All right. Yeah. Well, that's all I no, need to know I about think this he, guy. 
<laughs> and then, yeah. uh, no, he was, uh, modern biographers think he was a repressed homosexual. Yeah. So, would probably not have had a lot of fun in Nazi Germany. Um, his name, was. his name was even included in the Black Book, um, a list of people that the Nazis were going to have arrested uh, when they uh, invaded the United Kingdom, yeah. um, because the Scouting movement was seen as a threat to the Hitler Youth. Right. Can only have here's one. something. Here's something from his final letter to the Scouts before he died in 1941. I like this. I mean, I'm taking the piss a little bit, but I like this. He says, try and leave the world a little better than you found it. And when your turn comes to die, you can die happy in feeling that at any rate, you have not wasted your time, but have done your best. Aww. I think as a motto, that's not not too bad. Just take out all the other stuff and yeah. Put that on his gravestone. Well, at, at the very end, he said, by the way, that Hitler, he's, he's all right, isn't he? <laughs> give him a chance, people. Give Hitler yeah, a chance. Just, just give him a chance. All we are saying <laughs> is give Hitler a chance. Um, oh, yeah, no, like, you know, let me, let me, let me, let me, Uncle Cam's corner, pull up a, pull up a, <laughs> take a knee, take a knee, Colin Copernic. Um, I just wanted to say, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to 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 lead a revolution like Ho Chi Minh, or right. you don't need to be Steve Jobs and invent the iPhone. Just try and leave the world a little better than you found right. it. Right. And even if that's too much for you, just d back, and you'll make the world a better place. Just sure. Minimum. People will write v- reviews on iTunes, calling you a, <laughs> iTunes, calling you a racist. But you will know you in know, your heart, you, exactly deep down in your heart, you that you tried to make the world right. a little bit better. Right. Uh, tear up. So Ho arrived in Hanoi in a pre-war American automobile with people riding around him on bicycles. Strode up to the platform. Uh, wearing his traditional uniform of a faded khaki jacket with white rubber sandals yeah. and an old hat. Everyone else was wearing suits and ties. Nah, he wore revolutionary gear, which would be his uniform for the next 24 years. Um, you know, again, like many of these revolutionary leaders, Fidel, etc., mm-hmm. always seen in their green fatigues. Right. Um, well, yes, I think that's part of it. Hey, listen, I'm just a soldier. I think that's yeah. really what that's about. I'm a soldier for the revolution. Yes, I have fancy titles now, but really right. I'm, I'm still fighting the revolution. Uh, I'm just a soldier. Yeah. He shouted out, compatriots, can you hear me? And they shouted back, what? <laughs> So he repeated himself even louder, and they went, what? And, and this went on for 20 minutes. Went on for 20 minutes, and a good time was had by all, I have to say, Ray, because they all, they all knew it was funny, and they laughed and laughed and laughed until they went, fact, okay. It's a, it's a big we're kind of joke a, now. Well, yeah, we're over that now. <laughs> so if you ever go it, to Vietnam. They call it doing speech. a hoe. Yeah, they call right. it doing a hoe in Vietnam. Hey, do a hey, do what? a hey, what was that? Can you hear me? What? Mm. Can't. Yeah, and just do that for like 20 minutes. People will love you. Absolutely. 
And I'm going to finish by finish yeah, by reading ahead. his speech, uh, unless you want to interject and jump forward to 1953 or something. I don't know. What, is there something you wanted to say um, before I read the speech? I'm, I'm finished festooning. Go ahead. Just mute the microphone and you can festoon all over yourself. <laughs> Here's Ho's speech. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think you got your speech mixed up with somebody else's. No, that's his actual opening line of his speech. Yes. I don't know who he thought might be listening, (laughs) but... The second line of his speech went like this. This immortal statement was made in the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America in 1776. In a broader sense, this means all the peoples on the earth are equal from birth. All the peoples have a right to live, to be happy and free. The Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen of the French Revolution made in 1791 also states... All men are born free and with equal rights and must always remain free and have equal rights. Those are undeniable truths. Mm -hmm. Nevertheless, for more than 80 years, the French imperialists, in the name of liberty, equality and fraternity, have violated our fatherland and oppressed our fellow citizens. They have acted contrary to the ideals of humanity and justice. In the field of politics, they have deprived our people of every democratic liberty. They have enforced inhuman laws. They have set up three distinct political regimes in the north, centre and south of Vietnam in order to destroy our national unity and prevent our people from being united. They have built more prisons than schools. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> talking, about, talking about the United States. Reagan. They have mercilessly slaughtered our patriots. They have drowned our uprisings in bloodbaths. They have fettered public opinion. They have practiced obscurantism. There's there's your second word of the day. (laughs) They have practiced obscurantism against our people. They weaken our race and have forced us to use opium and alcohol. In the field of economics, they have fleeced us to the backbone, impoverished our people and devastated our land. They have robbed us of our rice fields, our mines, our forests and our raw materials. They have monopolized the issuing of banknotes and the export trade. They have invented numerous unjustifiable taxes and reduced our people, especially our peasantry, to a state of extreme poverty. They have hampered the prospering of our national bourgeois they have mercilessly, mercilessly exploited our workers. And somebody yelled back, but they did give us aqueducts. <laughs> he goes, right, well, they did kill, give us aqueducts, yeah. Kill that yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> I'll give you that. In the autumn of 1940, when the Japanese fascists violated Indochina's territory to establish new bases in their fight against the Allies, the French imperialists went down on bended knee and handed over our country to them. Thus, from that date, our people were subjected to the double yoke of the French and the Japanese. If you want, we have been DP'd for the last few years and not in a good, 
you know, drunk Vegas night in way. Vegas way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sufferings and miseries increased. The result was that from the end of last year to the beginning of this year, from Quang Tri province to northern Vietnam, more than two million of our fellow citizens died from starvation. Mm-hmm. On March 9th, the French troops were disarmed by the Japanese. The French colonialists either fled or surrendered, showing that not only were they incapable of protecting us, but that in the span of five years, they had twice sold our country to the Japanese. On several occasions before March 9th, the Viet Minh League urged the French to ally themselves with it against the Japanese. Instead of agreeing to this proposal, the French colonialists so intensified their terrorist activities against the Viet Minh members that before fleeing, they massacred a great number of our political prisoners detained at Yen Bai and Cao Bang. Notwithstanding all this, our fellow citizens have always maintained toward the French a tolerant and human attitude. Even after the Japanese putsch of March 1945, the Viet Minh League helped many Frenchmen to cross the frontier, rescued some of them from Japanese jails and protected French lives and property. From the autumn of 1940, our country had in fact ceased to be a French colony and had become a Japanese possession. After the Japanese had surrendered to the Allies, our whole people rose to regain our national sovereignty and to found the Democratic Republic of Vietnam. The truth is that we have wrested our independence from the Japanese and not from the French. The French have fled. The Japanese have capitulated. Emperor Bao Dai has abdicated. Our people have broken the chains for which nearly a century have fettered them and have won independence for the fatherland. Our people at the same time have overthrown the monarchic regime that has reigned supreme for dozens of centuries. In its place has been established the present democratic republic. For these reasons, we, the members of the provisional government representing the whole Vietnamese people, declare that from now on we break off all relations of a colonial character with France. We repeal all the international obligation that France has so far subscribed to on behalf of Vietnam, and we abolish all the special rights the French have unlawfully acquired in our fatherland. The whole Vietnamese people, animated by a common purpose, are determined to fight to the bitter and against any attempt by the French colonialists to reconquer the country. We are convinced that the Allied nations, which at Tehran and San Francisco have acknowledged the principles of self-determination and equality of nations, will not refuse to acknowledge the independence of Vietnam. A people who have courageously opposed French domination for more than 80 years, a people who have fought side by side with the Allies against the fascists during these last years, such a people must be free and independent. For these reasons, we, the members of the Provisional Government of the Democratic Republic of Vietnam, solemnly declare to the world that Vietnam has the right to be a free and independent country. And in fact, it is so already. And thus, the entire Vietnamese people are determined to mobilize all their physical and mental strength to sacrifice their lives and property in order to safeguard their independence and liberty. When he finished, Jiap took the stage and gave a speech where he also called upon the United States and China to support Mm -hmm. their independence. Neither Jiap nor Ho 
mentioned the USSR. Why do you think that was? Nothing to be gained by it? Didn't want to piss off the Americans? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's a master politician. Uh, And Giap, in his speech, said, Following in the steps of our forefathers, the present generation will fight a final battle so that generations to follow will will forever be able to live in independence, freedom, and happiness. Nice. Wow. So, so he's, again, relying on the United States. The closest officials on the scene, if they're still there, or any part of the OSS. I, I don't know who's still there, but, but I wonder if he gets a message to them saying, look, we would really love Washington's help. However, if you can't, maybe the Chinese will. It's like a, 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 an ask and a threat all rolled into one. Or is that reading too much into it? No, well, the Chinese, China's run by Chiang Kai-shek still at the moment, um, yeah. who is friendly with the US. It's not run by Mao. So, no, I don't think it's a threat. I think he's, mm. they're seeing them as allies, which they were in late 1945. Yeah. So that's where we're going to end episode 102. Uh, I think when we come back next time, we'll probably continue to talk. Obviously, the French came back anyway. Right. And we'll get into the first Indochina. Well, the last six episodes have just been a bit of a background on the Vietnamese independence movement. Um, And then we'll get into the first Indochina war, I think. Can't wait. Uh, Listen, if anyone wants to leave us an iTunes review, if you haven't already, please Mm -hmm. tell people that I'm not a racist. Yeah. Um, If if you believe that. Cam is many things, many faults, but he is not a racist. I got your back, Cam. Oh, gee, thanks, yeah. Ray. Yeah. Um, you were born in a bubble, you don't stand a chance, but not a racist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't like bubble boys. I mean, <laughs> it's not nothing personal. Just never, never really trusted right. people who live in bubbles. I got you. People, I got you. Uh, that's, uh, that's the show <laughs> for this week. Descended across the continent.